Revelation chapter 14, beginning at verse 14, it says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud sat one like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle, And another angel now came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and the blood came out of the winepress, even into the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand six hundred furlongs, about 184 miles. So we come to this last <clears throat> scene in chapter 14. Verse 1 begins with, I saw or I looked. Then verse 6, the next scene, I saw or I looked, same Greek phrase. Now here, the third scene, I saw, I looked. Uh, And again, it's aida, I I perceived. And then he says, and behold, it's an imperative. You've got to look at this. You've got to think about this. So we have this interesting picture as we go through. Look, the first scene, verses 1 to 5, are the 144,000 gathered to Jerusalem, Christ returning, the inauguration of the kingdom. Then, verses 6 to 20, we back up and we look at the judgment that happens before that all the way down to Armageddon. There's a series of six angels. The first three angels, beginning in verse 6, are warning. They're, they're issuing warnings. They're, the first angel saying, turn. He's preaching the everlasting gospel. The second angel is saying, Babylon's fallen. All your earthly hopes are gone. What are you going to hope in now? That's a false hope. The third angel says, anybody who receives the mark of the beast or, or the, the, you know, worships him, he's gone. His name, he's, he's lost. There's no redemption from that. The smoke of the torment of those who drink that cup of sense forever and ever. Then there's kind of a break and there's a blessing upon the believers. And in verse 13, we have the second beatitude. There's seven of them in the book of Revelation. Here's the second one. And I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed are the dead, which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. The first beatitude was blessed are those who read, blessed are those who hear, blessed are those who keep the things in the book. 
Now the second beatitude. And then as we get to the third division, we have three more angels. The first three are warning. The last three angels are implementing the judgments that the first three warned of. And sitting between them, we have one like the Son of Man on this cloud. The imagery here is first the harvesting of the grain, then the harvesting the vintage, the harvesting of the grapes. This is imagery all through the Bible applied to the judgment of the last day. This one seated upon the cloud, like a son of man, has in his hand a sharp sickle. You find that word 12 times throughout the Bible, sickle. You find it eight times in the New Testament, and seven of those times are in this chapter. This is the sickle chapter. And this is the chapter of gathering. This is the chapter of all of these things coming together. And as we go through, this is not evangelism. This is judgment coming on the world that had been warned in verses 6 through 13. And he says, I looked, I perceived, and behold, consider, you have to consider this, a white cloud and him upon, and upon the cloud, one like the son of man, he sat having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, some want to say, well, this is in Christ because in the next verse, the angel kind of tells him what to do. <clears throat> this is the last time in the Bible we have the phrase son of man. Uh, 84 times in the New Testament alone, 80 times Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts, and four other times. This is the last time it's in the Bible. The first time it's used is in Psalm 8. Uh, what is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that thou visitest him? Jesus, it's his favorite name for himself through the Gospels. And certainly he takes it from Daniel. Chapter 7, where it says, I saw in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all people and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed." Jesus in Matthew 24, when they ask him about the sign of his coming in the end of the age, he takes them through a long passage. He finally says, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn when they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's 24. In chapter 25, he says there, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. When he is before Caiaphas, and they're mocking him and beating him, and Caiaphas finally says, You need to tell us, I adjure thee by the living God. Puts him under an oath. Are you the Son of God? Jesus says to him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, 
Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. He will be coming in judgment. In John's Gospel, we read this. For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, and hath given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So this phrase through the Bible referring to Christ, the Son of Man, this is the last time that we see that picture, but we see him throughout sitting on the clouds, the Son of Man, he's here in this picture, he comes before us. And in verse 15 it says this, Another angel came out of the temple, and he's crying. It's in the sense he's pleading with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, and what he says is, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee. It's specific. The time has come for you to reap. For the harvest of the earth is great. So as we look at this, there's, this is not a command. The angel is not commanding the Lord. The angel comes forth from the temple, the Neah, the holy place in heaven. Um, the tabernacle, the temple of Solomon were both patterned after a reality in heaven where there's a holy place, where there's a, an altar, where there's an ark. You know, we just, those are just images, pictures of some greater reality. And this angel comes from the holy place in heaven and he cries in the sense of pleading. He says to the one seated on the cloud, he says, thrust in thy sickle. The, the Greek is send forth your sickle, acknowledging his authority. For it is time, Jesus in Matthew 24 had said to his disciples, no man knows the time. Not the angels in heaven, not the Son of Man. Only the Father knows the time of these last judgments. In Acts chapter 1, verse 7, his disciples said to him, Is this when you're going to bring forth the kingdom? He says, It's not for you to know the times of the kingdom. Those things are strictly within the Father's jurisdiction, but rather do this. So now this is the time. This angel says, This is the time. Send forth your sickle and gather the, the, the harvest, he says, because are for, he says, it is the time for you to do this. And he says, and the harvest of the earth is ripe. And that word means withered. It means overripe. Some people try to say this is talking about evangelism that the wheat is are the believers gathered in and the grapes crushed are um, you know God's judgment no throughout this is relating to the first three warnings from the other angels this harvest is withered it is overripe you know uh, it, it's and the angel saying it's time it's time look we do that we say how long Lord I'm so tired of politics. I'm so tired of what's going on around. I'm so tired of the pandemic. I'm so tired of 
stress here. I'm so tired of, of lying. I'm so tired of the news. I'm so tired. Lord, you know, it's madness. Lord, when are you coming? When are you coming? Well, it says here that he doesn't do this until it's overripe. It's withered because he's patient and he's long-suffering. When God spoke to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 15, he told him he was taking his the children of Israel down into Egypt for four generations. And he says, after 400 years, I'll bring them at, back and I'll bring them into the land of Canaan to execute judgment. And he said, I'm not doing it now because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet come to a full. And what the, 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 the Amorites were wicked then, but the Lord is measuring time morally, not by the calendar or the clock. He looks at a culture, he looks at a nation, and finally he says there's no more redemption. There's going to be no more turning. There's going to be no one else saved. Morally, this has come to the point where it's corrupt. When his disciples asked him about his return, in the one place he said, he said, wherever the carcass is, that's where the eagles, the birds of prey, will be gathered together. Basically says, it's not until something's putrefied and it's rotting that you see the birds of prey circling in the air. He said, when you see these things coming, circling, then you know it's getting to that point. So here, you know, you and I so often think, Lord, when are you going to do this? He does it when it's overripe. I'm glad he didn't do it, you know, 50 years ago because I wouldn't have got in. Now I'm in the heck with everybody else. Just come, Lord, you know, get us out of here, right? We all know how that feels. But this gives us a picture of what's going on behind the scenes. That's what's so important for you and I. We see the Lord conducting this. We see angels serving, doing his bidding. And it's giving us a picture of what's behind the seven vials that are going to be poured out. It's giving us a picture of what's behind the gathering of the armies of the world to Armageddon, the largest military gathering in the history of humanity. It's unimaginable. It's giving a picture of when Christ returns with you and I, in glory to Armageddon, it's it's saying, okay, this is what's behind the scenes. You know, David, when he numbered the children of Israel at the end of his career, I think Second Samuel 24 talks to us about it. And David, uh, his pride had got involved, and God brought judgment on Jerusalem because he said to David, one of these three things are going to come your way, David. Which one do you choose? And he said, Lord, you choose. You're wise of me, you choose. And a plague came on Jerusalem, and thousands of people died of the plague. And David began to beseech the Lord, and the Lord told the angel to put his sword away. There was an angel swinging a sword over Jerusalem, and when he put his sword back in the sheaf, the plague stopped. Now, in the natural, there was a plague. COVID-1, I don't know, you know. In the spiritual, behind the scenes, there were, there were angelic involvement and power. When Elisha is in Dothan, he's asleep and his servant wakes up before him and looks out and he sees the armies of Syria, the horsemen, the chariots. And he wakes up, Elisha said, we are in deep trouble. Look, at the, look what's going on here. And Elisha, you know, he looks at him and yawns and says, get me a latte, would you please? 
And uh, he said, Lord, open his eyes so he can see what's really going on. And he said, the Lord opened his servant's eyes and he saw the horsemen and the chariots of fire circling the city. Because behind the scenes there was something completely different going on. What's going on today? This pandemic that touched the whole world. What is behind that spiritually? This is, this is the cast. This is what's going on behind the scenes. You know, are we watching Israel in the news right now? You know, all of the prophecies about Israel, we know this. You know, 1948, they come back to become a nation again. That is the hallmark. That is the signature of a prophetic season beginning that will be unlike any other prophetic season. And you and I in our lifetime have watched Israel. The things there in the Middle East flare up, they die down. They flare up, they die down. They flare up and they die down. But look where we are now. Would we ever have thought one year ago we'd be where we are now? There's been a paradigm shift in our lives and in our nation and in the world we'd have never dreamed. Well, when we watch Israel, know this. It flares up, it dies down. It flares up, it dies down. One of these times, it's going to flare up and flare up and precipitate and never die down again. And it could be this time. I'm not a prophet. We're a nonprofit organization. I'm just telling you, <laughs> at some point, at some point, that's going to take place. You watch. Because, because the tensions of the world are there. And behind the scenes, there's principalities and powers. There's a cast like this behind the scenes. And the angel says, please, and says, send forth your sickle. It's time now for you to do this because the harvest of the earth, it's ripe. It's full now. It's withered. It's dried. It's time. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. One sentence. No problem. Look, understand there's complete clarity here as we look at this. Jesus told us this in, in Matthew's gospel, again, in uh, chapter 13. Um, he said, As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this age. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth and, and so forth. The, the, he has no hesitancy with this. When it's time, you know, he's come as a savior. He's come and he was brutalized. He, he died in our place. The next time he comes, he comes as a judge. He comes as a king. In fact, he says he has a golden crown here. And it's Stephanos. It's the crown that was given to a victor in the Olympics or in a battlefield. This one's gold. The next time we see him coming in Revelation 19, he has royal diadems. He's coming king of kings, lord of lords. Here is a picture of the victory that he has. And he thrust in the sickle and the earth is harvested. There's no hesitation. He's not confused. He knows the complete difference between darkness and light between lies and truth, between the unsaved and the saved. All of those things are completely clear to him. 
You and I get bungled up in the world we're living in with this and that. And we study Revelation and somebody cuts us out in traffic on their way home. We've forgotten Revelation by then. You know, or we drive by a Starbucks and oh, Revelation's gone. You know, we, we get, there's so many things that sidetrack us. And then we get caught up in politics. It's divisive. We get caught up in the pandemic. It divides. Watch what's going on. And Satan is the divider. He, you know, he scatters the sheep. You look at what's going on in our culture, how divisive it is. There's only two categories. There is the saved and the unsaved. And eternity cares about those two categories. No other guy. Doesn't care about Republican, Democrat. Doesn't care about racial differences. Doesn't care about social differences with money, no money. Eternity's looking and saying, all of this is going to be over like that. In a twinkling of an eye, it's all going to be gone. And the only thing that matters in the final analysis is light, not darkness. Truth, not error. The saved, not the unsaved. And you and I looking around, look, the way we're we're living our lives. What's going on in Israel right now? What angels are working behind the scenes? You know, Israel's saying, oh, our Iron Dome, we knocked out this missile and that missile. Some angels going, pew, pew. Thanks, Israel, you did this all yourself, huh? You know, I mean, just imagine what the spiritual forces are behind the scenes right now. And God's looking at the harvest. He's looking at the great separation. He's looking at what needs to happen in the not-too-distant future. And he sees all of this so differently than you. The people we work with, the people we're married to, our kids, our grandkids, our grandmas, our grandpas, are we witnessing to them? Are we, are we laying Christ before them? We're seeing more people than ever respond to the gospel, and the gray area is gone. People are either haters of what we say or lovers of what we say because they find no hope anywhere else. And we have to be perfectly clear about what we believe in these days without apology because all the rest of these <laughs> little Caesars with their own pizza places you know all, all, all of all of that doesn't amount to anything when we consider what's going on behind the scenes and the Lord of Lords who's in control of all of this nothing's out of control you look at the news you think it's out of control nothing's out of control everything is right on schedule and when it's time, he thrusts in the sickle. There's no hesitancy. He knows. He knows how to gather. He knows how to divide. He just does it. He simply moves and he thrusts in his sickle. Verse 17 says, Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, the holy place again, he also having a sharp sickle. So this is the fifth angel. And another angel, each time it's Alice, another of the same kind angel, this is the sixth angel. He came out from the altar, which had power over fire. This angel has authority over fire. No doubt this is probably the altar of incense, I would guess. doesn't matter. When I get to heaven, however it is, I'll be happy. Back in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, there were those that were under the altar. And they're saying, how long, O Lord, before you avenge us on those who dwell on the earth? And the Lord says, you rest for a little while. Then it will be dealt with. No doubt that was their prayers rising. In chapter 8, there's fire taken from the altar and cast to the earth. 
this angel has a specific responsibility. He says he has, excuse me, he has authority over fire. And he cries out loud to the angel that had the sharp sickle. And he says to him, thrust in thy sickle, sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth. The word gather there is very important. This is not the crushing of the grapes. This is just the gathering of the grapes, the pulling them together into one place because the God, God has made his decision. This is many, many tekel upharzen. Daniel chapter 5, verse 25. Weighed in the balances, found wanting. There's no hesitancy here. And, and this angel now, he thrust, he's told to gather the grapes of the earth, for they are fully ripe. It can be rotten. It can be bursting. They're so ripe they should have been harvested already. It's the same inference. You know, the, the grain was withered. It was dried. It was overripe. The idea that we're looking at here with the grapes gives us the same sense. Verse 19 says, And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now, it's so interesting here because both verses tell us that there are angels gathering the vine of the earth for this great conflagration. It tells us in chapter 16 when it's describing all of this, it says, and he, an angel, gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. They're gathered there. And it says, and there fell on the men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, about 100 pounds. And the men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceedingly great. The the sentence for blasphemy in the Old Testament was stoning. And when this great conflagration is gathered, hailstones fall out of heaven. It says they're blaspheming God. And behind the scenes is an angel gathering them all together. It says to one place, gathering. What an interesting picture that we're looking at here. Joel chapter 3, very specifically, tells us this. It says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, that's right now, that's the time we're living in, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat means Jehovah Judges. And I will plead with them there for my people and for um, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have parted my land. The people better think about that, what they're doing over there. And then he says this. He says, Proclaim ye among the nations, prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men, let them all draw near. They're being gathered. Let them come. Beat your plowshares into swords, your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye nations, and gather yourselves together 
round about thither, and cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the nations be weakened, and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all nations round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down to the press. He does the same thing. He goes from the wheat to the grapes. Get you down to the press. The press is full. The vats are overflowing, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes gathered in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Joel, so clear the way he puts that before us. Zechariah will say this. He says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, the homes shall be rifled, women shall be ravished, half of the city shall go into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and west, and there shall be very great valley. Half of the mountain shall move to the north, half of the valley shall move to the south, and you shall flee to the valley of the mountain, for the valley of the mountain shall reach unto Aziel, and by the, you know, it just describes. So it says here, this angel's told to gather now the grapes of the earth, to gather them to the great wine press. The, the, it's it's going to be crushed, but there's this picture of all of these nations coming. It says here they gather for 1,600 furlongs. It's 600 and seven feet per furlong. And if there's 1,600, we're talking about about 184 miles. Now, the interesting thing is, from the Valley of Armageddon in the south, then the Valley of Jehoshaphat is the Valley of Kidron, right outside the city. Then you go south into Edom to Basra. You have 180 miles. It tells us this in Isaiah 63... It says, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? Question mark. Then the Lord speaks. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Question. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth out the wine vet? Answer. I have trodden the winepress alone. And of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all of my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help. I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation unto me, and my own fury upheld it. And I will tread down the people in my anger and make um, them drunk in my fury. I will bring down their strength to the earth. So the picture is the Lord coming. Jesus says when he turns, it will be like the, the lightning shining from the east to the west. 
just the way the earth is rotating as he descends, that's which way he appears to be coming from the east to the west. He comes down to Basra, which is in Edom, comes where, where Petra is in that area where there's a pe- people held up there. He comes across to the Mount of Olives and he touches the Mount of Olives. All of these armies gathered. It says in verse 20, and the winepress was trodden without the city, that's Jerusalem, because it's the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which is Kidron. The winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse bridles by the space of a 1,600 furlongs. This is unimaginable. The world's never seen anything like this. The armies that gather, it says, are gathered and they cover 1,600 furlongs, not just up in the Valley of Jezreel, the Valley of Armageddon, but from the north all the way down through the Kidron, Valley of Jehoshaphat, where Jehovah judges, all the way down to Edom. And, and you figure this, if there's between 2 and 3 billion people left alive, first, fourth goes under the seals, another fourth goes under the, the judgment of in chapter 9, and then that would leave presently about 4 billion people on the planet. You figure how many of them die, the things that are coming, whatever. If you take one-tenth of the population and you bring them to Jerusalem, the Antichrist and all the armies of the world, and no doubt they're coming because 144,000 have gathered there, and they're coming to put an end to the Lord's But They're coming actually thinking they're going to do battle against the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. So if you gather 200 million, 10%, you have that many people from Jezreel to Edom, that would mean if, if they're 180 miles long and a mile and a half deep, your social distancing would be five foot between every person. <laughs> five foot for a mile and a half deep and 180 miles long, only five foot between every person. You add to that horses, you add to that this hail that comes out of heaven, and you have the grapes of wrath being crushed. Josephus tells us in 70 AD when the Romans brought slaughter to Jerusalem that some of the streets the blood ran so deep it put out the fires in people's houses. If you study the Civil War, Bull Run and Antietam, there were places where the blood ran deep. This is a scene that's never been seen before. This number of people has never gathered before. Nothing like this has ever taken place. And you have a picture then of the blood running outside of Jerusalem in the Valley of Kidron, at least five foot deep. You have a river of blood of all nations proving that man cannot govern himself. You have the Prince of Peace come on this white stallion, his vestures dipped in blood, chapter 19, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, to trample out the grapes of wrath. He touches down on the Mount of Olives, it splits in half, and as he comes over to Jerusalem, prophecy tells you he's going to come through the East Gate, it tells us in that day, right in chapter 16, the city divides into three parts, and part of it is elevated. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth. Beautiful for elevation. Jerusalem starts to push up out of the ground. Just as a side note, interesting <coughs> to me, anyhow. If you study the Psalms, the 22nd Psalm is about the first coming of Christ, his crucifixion. There's details there nowhere else in the Bible about the crucifixion. 
Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, him caring for us now, what we're going through. Psalm 24 is about the return of Christ when he sets up his kingdom. Now, interesting thing, it's, it's an antithetical psalm, and it was sung all through Israel's history on the first day of the week on Sunday. And Jesus heard it when he was riding into Jerusalem, if you can imagine. Side note, uh, 1955, a, uh, no, no, let me figure how this goes again. 1955, an archaeologist, um, James Fleming, is excavating by the East Gate in Jerusalem. The Muslims have placed a cemetery there. They believe Elijah has to come before the Lord comes. They believe Elijah is of Aaron's line. And they believe Elijah has to go through that gate before Messiah goes through that gate. And because they believe he is from Aaron's line, they know that he can't be desecrated. So they put a cemetery there in front of the east gate so that these things aren't fulfilled. James Fleming is excavating near that gate and falls through the ground. And under the gate that exists today, which is probably, it's a Turkish gate, underneath is an ancient gate, probably Solomon, and it's completely open. And it's under, directly under the one that exists today. You don't believe me? Uh, Biblical Archaeological Review, uh, 1964, I believe, January, February, page 30. That might be a little clouded, but there's an old article on it. So you have Christ touching down, coming across this river of blood, flowing to the bridle of his horse. Jerusalem is starting to push up out of the ground. And you have the third psalm that talks about his second coming. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Yea, the Lord, mighty in battle. Now, here's the interesting thing. In Jesus' day, on the first day of the week, This is the way the priests would do it. Some of them would stand on the wall. Some of them would stand in the valley. The ones down in the valley would cry to the priests on the wall and say, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. They would scream down, Who is this King of glory? Then they would scream back, He's the Lord, mighty in battle. And then, again, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. On the wall they would scream down, Who is this King of glory? And again they would say, The Lord, mighty in battle. That's happening on Palm Sunday while Jesus is weeping, coming into Jerusalem. They're screaming on the walls, Who is the King of glory? You just have to imagine... But that really wasn't the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry we're going to come to here. And that's when Jesus comes, puts an end to war all over this planet. The, the most unimaginable scene, crossing a river of blood of all nations. 
entering into Jerusalem to set up his kingdom, the Prince of Peace finally comes, finally comes. You and I, I think, what a great time to take inventory, you know, what's happening in the world around us. When we look at it, we have to remember that the Lord sees it so vastly different than we do. He, he, he sees the timetable. He sees how much time is left compared to, you know, the, the history of mankind, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He sees how much time is left for human beings to, to be saved, to take advantage to, of his love and of his, his sacrifice. He sees you and I here like Esther for such a time as this. He's chosen us to be here. And when we look at the world, we can't measure it the way the news is measuring it and people are measuring it. We have to look at the world and read, this is shutting down. This is shutting down. And the only thing that's going to matter, maybe a year from now, a day from now, five years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is eternity. And who's in eternity with the Lord and glory? And who's in eternity in hell? And the reaping is going to take place. The crushing of the grapes is going to happen. The spiritual powers that are behind the scenes are working today. It's all over in the physical. We can see the effects of it in the news and in in our culture and our society and hatred and all of the things that are going on. You can imagine what's happening behind the scenes. We're getting out of here soon. We're getting out of here soon. I'm a wimp. I'm glad. <laughs> but the Lord's putting on my heart that I need to look at all this the way he's looking at it right now. I need to pray for people I know that are not yet saved and ask God to move. I need to pray for my own compromise, the things in my own life that need to change, my own commitment. I need to pray for my own hearing to be attenuated so I can hear his voice more clearly as he speaks to me. Are you guys with me? So everybody in that section is with me. I appreciate that, you guys. And... uh, you know, you know, look, this is this is the great separation here in this chapter. There's no hesitation on the Lord's part. He sees it, he knows it, he understands it, he does it justly. He's completely just, the angels say, when he when he when he does this. There's no injustice in it at all. He has done every single thing possible to draw the hearts of men and women to himself, and then finally he will move. He will move. Let's stand, let's pray together. Read ahead. Look, I'm going to ask you next Sunday, did you read it? It's the shortest chapter in Revelation, okay? Chapter 15. Would you just, you know, have somebody read it out loud to you? I don't know. Just, just so you can, you can at least do this, even if you're half honest. I'll take it. Father, we thank you for these things, Lord. We look to you. And Lord, uh, help us. This is, you say there's a blessing here for those who read here and keep these things, Lord. And, we we want to understand that. We we certainly want to be awake and, and to be watching, Lord. We want it to affect our lives. And Lord, as as we gather, if there Lord, those that gather with us that don't know you, we, we want to see them make that decision, Lord. So invest this in us. This is your word, Lord. Sow it. And don't let it fall on rocky ground, Lord, or shallow ground. Or be choked by the weeds, by the tares. Lord, let your word bring forth fruit in our lives, and we believe we're asking according to your will. Amen.